Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to this special edition of Prophecy Today, Violence in the Middle East. We're going to go to our broadcast partners there all around the world. Ken Timmerman in Washington, D.C. We'll look at it from his perspective. David Dolan with a Middle East News Update. Rob Congdon looking at the European Union and how they're reacting to what's happening in the Middle East. And Usama Dekdok. He is an Egyptian. We're going to talk to him about what the Egyptians think about America and what about that brand new president of Egypt. Is he stepping up to the plate? All of that, plus we'll have a conversation with Rabbi Yoel Karen and Steve Herzig about Rosh Hashanah. It's coming up. That's ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Now on this special edition of Prophecy Today, looking at the Middle East and how it's about to explode as we look at all the different demonstrations going on, mostly at American embassies throughout the entire Middle East, we want to bring to the table Ken Timmerman. He's a man, he's a journalist, first of all. He's traveled in all of the countries we're going to be talking about. He's written books, novels, and in addition to that, he's written factual books that help us to understand what's happening. He happens to be a candidate for the United States Congress in Maryland, so he has much on his table. And we're so thrilled that he could just take a moment. I felt like I needed to have Ken Timmerman talk to us about what is happening in that part of the world. Ken, first of all, uh, events are changing so quickly. I don't know that we should necessarily focus on any event that's happening maybe right now, but instead generally looking at the entire Middle East. But it all started when the ambassador from the United States to Libya was killed in Benghazi by the Muslims, and everybody wanted to say, well, it was triggered. I think probably it was triggered by this film, this documentary film depicting Islam as derogatory, but indeed it looked like to me that it was a planned attack. What are your sources telling you? Well, Jimmy, you know, the latest information that we've been getting, even out of the State Department itself, uh, states very clearly this attack had nothing to do with that uh, film made in the United States by, by the way, unknown filmmakers. It had been sitting on YouTube for, for weeks, if not months, and nobody had noticed it. This attack, was, uh, attack had been planned in advance. The State Department has acknowledged it. They had 48 hours warning. They didn't even tell the uh, people at our embassy or our consulate in Benghazi that they were under, under threat. Uh, this is a disgraceful, a disgraceful uh, abandonment of their responsibility uh, in the United States government to protect our officials. An ambassador being murdered, this is, is as important as if it were, uh, he was Obama's personal representative, the personal representative of the President of the United States murdered in a foreign country by a mob, and we're sitting here wringing our hands and doing nothing. I think it's a disgrace. Yes, and is there any way to explain why the White House or the State Department did not act on intelligence information coming into them, and especially even on the anniversary of 9-11? Why didn't they act? It's totally mind-boggling, Jimmy. It, it really is. And then to have the President go off to a fundraiser in Las Vegas while all of this, this is going on, it just shows the utter contempt uh, with which he holds uh, the Foreign Service, uh, our military, our intelligence community, the people who are putting their lives on the line every single day to defend this country, and this president just goes off to Las Vegas for a fundraiser. It's, it's beyond belief. Well, there was somewhat of an apology. It seems to me, as I've read it, as I've heard it spoken, it seems to me it was an apology by the embassy 
there in Egypt that, uh, hey, uh, look, we're sorry for this lousy film that was shown provoking these people to do that. They never attack the idea that these demonstrators were ripping down the American flag, putting up an Islamic flag in its place, and then that jumps the border over into Benghazi, Libya, and they kill the ambassador. Uh, do you think this seemingly type of an apology uh, enhanced all of this violence? Uh, absolutely. Here's the, here's the real key, the thing that we all need to understand from this uh, incident, which is not a single isolated incident, it has become a wave across the Middle East uh, today. Weakness breeds attack. Weakness invites attack. This administration has presented a, a face of the United States that we are weak, we will apologize, we will run, we will hide, we will put our tail between our legs, and that has only encouraged the Islamists to attack us. Uh, clearly, our intelligence community was doing their job. They had advanced information. They knew that this was going to happen, and this happened well before there was ever any information about uh, out about that uh, stupid film on, on uh, Muhammad and about Islam. Uh, so uh, we had the information ahead of time. We could have taken measures to, to protect the ambassador. We are showing weakness throughout the region, and frankly, uh, this is going to continue. Do you think that it can intensify, and could there possibly be a full-blown war throughout the entire Middle East? Well, I, I don't know about full-blown war, but there are going to be more attacks on U.S. embassies and on other embassies. Look, they are also attacking the, the, the Muslim Islamists are attacking in, in uh, Europe as well. They're attacking uh, embassies in Germany and in other countries in Europe. This is going to spread everywhere until they understand that the United States is serious, that we will not tolerate this kind of violence, uh, and that uh, we also will hold the host countries uh, accountable for what happens to our embassies. That was one of the problems we had in Iran in 1979, uh, was that we had no way of holding that government accountable, uh, or at the very least Jimmy Carter uh, would not take the measures that were necessary to hold them accountable. I'm afraid that Barack Obama is going to make Jimmy Carter look like a strong president. Well, and you covered that incident there in 1979. Have we learned, has America learned any lessons from it at all? Uh, well, I think um, uh, the rest of the world certainly learned a lesson on January 20th, 1981, when Ronald Reagan was sworn into office. Literally, Jimmy, and I'm not exaggerating this, at the very minute that he took the oath of office, the terrorists in Tehran put our diplomats on an airplane and got them out of the country. They released them the very minute that Ronald Reagan took office. Why? Because he had declared a new doctrine. He said, we uh, will spread peace through strength. America is back. We will defend ourselves. We will defend our interests. And we will stand by our allies. This president today, Barack Hussein Obama, has said just the opposite. He has said to Israel, it is dangerous to be an ally of the United States. He said to the European countries, especially those in Eastern Europe, the Czech Republic and Poland, he says, it is dangerous to be an ally of the United States. We will not support you with missile defense and things that we have promised you in the past. We are not going to keep our promises. And then he says to uh, regimes which are not friends of ours, like the regime in Tehran or the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, he says, that's okay. You can do whatever you want. You can build uh, nuclear weapons, is what he says to the Iranians. He says to the Muslim Brotherhood, you can, you can murder people, you can, you can side with the Iranians, uh, you can break the peace treaty with Israel, and you can murder Christians in your own country, and that's okay. We're going to give you more money. I think this is an outrage. It has stood American policy on its head, and it's time for Americans to wake up to this. Ken, talk to me about uh, 2009, July, I think it was, 
when uh, our president went to Cairo, Egypt, actually, and spoke to the Islamic world, said that America is not at war with Islam. We think it's a peaceful religion, etc., etc. Was that the beginning of the end as it relates to America's capability of keeping these types of things under control in the Middle East? Uh, I think so. And I think Barack Hussein Obama has shown uh, where he stands. Uh, he has shown the Muslim world that America is out of the picture. We do not count. We will not respond. We will not defend ourselves. We will retreat. Uh, he gave a date for retreat in Iraq. He has given a date for retreat in Afghanistan. I'm not saying we shouldn't have pulled out of those two countries, but you do not give a date of your withdrawal to your enemies ahead of time. Jimmy, this is, this is so extraordinary, the events of the past week, and they have got me so angry and so upset and so worried for my country. We have got to stand up as Americans. We've got to defend this country. We've got to defend the values that we were founded on and were based on, and we have to let the rest of the world know that we will not take this kind of behavior. We will not sit back while our diplomats are murdered. Let me go back to Cairo, Egypt, just for a moment. The demonstrations uh, took place. That's what started all of this ruckus throughout the entire Middle East. But uh, we did not hear from the new president of Egypt, Mohamed Morsi. He's really not stepping up to the plate either, is he? Uh, He's not, and we should cut off all aid to Egypt until he does. We should cut off all aid to Libya until the perpetrators, and not just two or three people, but the mob that was there at our uh, consulate in Benghazi are brought to a court of justice, or we track them down and bring them to a final justice. Uh, I think that we ought to send uh, uh, some of those shadow operators who have been exposed by President Obama wherever they uh, have been around the world. We should send them in the shadows to do some of this uh, to help uh, the Libyan government, which, by the way, has, has been very friendly to us and has, been extremely, has expressed sympathy and has said, you know, we will do whatever we can to help. Um, so the Libyan government is not at fault here the way that the Egyptian government is. But nevertheless, we have to make sure that everybody is brought to justice and that the people who did this and their sympathizers in Libya understand that they will pay a very high cost for this kind of action against the United States of America. Well, that brings me to the final question. It looks like that the United States has dispatched warships to the area off the coast of Libya. Uh, They sent 50 Marines, I think, into Tripoli. I don't know how that's going to affect anything there, but uh, we better get tough, and the warships would be a step up in getting tough, would it not? Well, uh, it's a very tiny uh, step, but it's pathetic when you think about it. 50 Marines? Look, there were 25 armed guards defending that consulate in Benghazi, and they weren't enough to, to defend the crowd. In Cairo, Egypt, our ambassador, the United States ambassador, Ann Patterson, ordered the Marines uh, not to load their weapons on embassy grounds. They w- did not even have live ammo in their weapons because she thought that would be politically incorrect. Uh, look, it's time to get serious, folks. It's time that we woke up. This is the United States of America. We can't allow this to happen around the world. Uh, we have to stand up for our values. We have to uh, uh, project an image of peace through strength. We are friends to those who will be friends with us, but our enemies should beware. Ken Timmerman, giving us a look at geopolitical activities across this world from his vantage point in Washington, D.C. area. Ken, I'm so grateful for your input to those who may be eavesdropping on the conversation, and to me as well. I thank you so very much, and we'll talk again, I'm sure, soon down the line. Thank you so much, Jimmy. God bless. Thank you very much, Ken. Hey, we'll take a break. We'll have a Middle East news update. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to this edition, a special edition of Prophecy Today, Violence in the Middle East. It's time now for our Middle East news update, as I indicated we would have, and that's going to be with David Dolan. David has served in Jerusalem as a journalist for almost 30 years, maybe more than that, but uh, he is on top of everything's happening in that region of the world, and I want to get right to it, David. You and I have talked about when Hosni Mubarak was taken down by the Muslim Brotherhood and that so-called Arab Spring, the president of Israel, Shimon Peres, the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, made a statement that Hosni Mubarak was the best friend of Israel for about 32 years. Now, I would say, and I want to see what your thoughts are because you've covered this region for many, many years, would you say that if Hosni Mubarak would have still been at the presidency of Egypt, this type of demonstration could have taken place, or would he have clamped down on it? Well, Jimmy, really it's uh, not just Mubarak, but the other leaders that have been deposed, uh, four Arab leaders so far, and of course they're working on getting rid of uh, Bashar Assad in Syria and one or two others could uh, fall in the future. Uh, they were all relatively benign um, autocrats. Uh, I wouldn't say dictator. Dictator would be Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, somebody that, that not only had total control but uh, wantonly slaughtered their own people. Uh, Mubarak did not do that. He kept the peace. He kept um, the, um, the minority uh, Christian community there, the Coptic Christian community, fairly safe. Um, and certainly he was uh, pro-American, and he did look out for our interests, worked with the Saudis uh, on some things, and uh, did keep the peace with Israel, even though it was a very cold peace. 
So yes, uh, relatively speaking, he was a pretty benign leader. And I said at the time, uh, as you'll recall, that for our White House, our State Department, and others to be uh, urging Mubarak to get out, well, who are we going to get in his place? Yeah. And it was always likely mm-hmm. that it would be a Muslim fundamentalist because, as I've been pointing out for 30 years now, the average Arab is a Muslim, and they take their faith fairly seriously. And in these big, poor countries like Algeria, like Libya, like Egypt, Syria, um, in many cases, they have nothing else in this world but their faith. It means a lot to them. And so uh, they go to the polls, they elect a Muslim fundamentalist government, and this is the result. Absolutely. What do you think about the Arab Spring? Would you say that what we are seeing happen right now across the entire Middle East is a result of the Arab Spring and this openness for these people to come forth and not be under a tight control? It clearly is a Muslim Spring. Um, It's a Muslim revival And again, not all Arabs are Muslims. Uh, 10% of Egyptians are Coptic Christians. 10% of the Syrian population are Christians. Uh, There was over a million Christians in uh, Iraq. Half of them have fled. So really what we're seeing is the minority groups uh, in the region uh, now under danger, great danger. And, of course, the danger against Israel has increased because... um, Muslim fundamentalists just don't have a high opinion of a Jewish state in the Middle East. This is land that Islam ruled for a thousand years. They point out repeatedly, I'm talking about Hamas and Hezbollah, Iran, all these different groups, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, and they must get it back under their control. So this is not for Israel's good. This is not for the good of any of the minorities in the region. Uh, It is a Muslim revival that's taking place. And again, this could have been predicted. You unleash these, quote, democratic forces And the people are Muslims, mostly, so they're going to gravitate towards that sort of a group. And that's what we've seen now in Tunisia, in Egypt, and uh, seems to be happening in Syria. Well, talk to me about Jerusalem. Was there any type of a demonstration? After Friday prayers there in Jerusalem, around the Temple Mount, any kind of activity? Or I heard something went on in Tel Aviv. Talk to me about it. There was uh, activity in Jerusalem, in uh, Tel Aviv, near the embassy, in the Gaza Strip. There was uh, uh, major anti-American demonstrations there uh, and in various other Palestinian towns. Um, And again, all this stems from uh, this uh, movie that, uh, as Hillary Clinton pointed out, the U.S. government had absolutely nothing uh, to do with, uh, you know, uh, posted on YouTube and not representing the opinions of the United States government at all, uh, but uh, it's being used as an excuse, I would say, to um, by these radical groups to stir up anti-Israel, anti-American sentiments. Uh, now we're having demonstrations as far away as Sydney, Australia. So, I mean, it's uh, spreading around the world and maybe will be coming to the United States as well. And um, it's sillier than the uh, Khartoum uh, of, the, Muslim, of uh, the Prophet Muhammad, the Muslim Prophet Muhammad that uh, appeared in a Danish newspaper uh, in the sense that it's, uh, you know, it has nothing to do with uh, the government. It's a similar scene. And then we saw the sacking of some embassies. Here, here again, we've seen it. And I do want to say that the ambassador to Libya that was killed, Jimmy, was someone I was acquainted with. He was stationed in Jerusalem for a time, and I uh, was at several press conferences he was at. He was a fine man, and a, a really tragedy that uh, he was so brutally killed, and the other three men as well. Do you think uh, that we're going to see this intensify, or is it ultimately going to settle down when everybody gets a clear head? 
I think it depends on what else is behind it, Jimmy. And my suspicion is that Iran has an interest in stoking this and keeping it going uh, to try to divert American and Israeli attention from a possible strike on them. Hezbollah has an interest in it. I think Assad of Syria would like to see um, you know, the rest of the region popping, so again, there's less focus on him. So these people have some interest in it continuing, and possibly they have the ability to make that happen. Uh, the anger is real, but again, uh, you know, it's being directed at the wrong source. And uh, uh, in America, we're free to say anything about any religion. And as you know, there's a lot of stuff that, frankly, mocks the Lord, uh, Jesus, very, very much out there. And uh, I'm not happy with it, but it's, uh, it's a free country. And these people are just going to have to understand that that's the way things are over here. And by the way, you're not taking up arms and killing those who are mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just a very interesting thought. You mentioned Hezbollah and Iran. Talk to me about what Hezbollah has recently said. They're ready to defend Iran from Israel. That means that Israel better take that into their calculations if they do a preemptive strike, does it not? Well, it does, Jimmy, but it's always been assumed uh, by Israeli policymakers that uh, Hezbollah would get into any, any fight with Iran. In fact, uh, the, the, the great uh, fear is that Hezbollah will start uh, something and uh, will do something small but big enough that Israel responds to, such as kidnapping a few soldiers like they did in 2006, that that will escalate. And so Israel will be blamed for starting a conflict with the world not noticing that uh, Hezbollah was playing along the edges. That's a possibility. But we did have that statement from uh, Sheikh Nasrallah this week in a fiery speech that he gave from a bunker. Uh, he's, of course, afraid for his own safety, as he should be. Um, this is the most dangerous enemy on Israel's border today, uh, heavily armed and uh, radical and backed by Iran, backed by Assad of Syria and a real possible trigger for big trouble. I understand that the Israeli-U.S. relations are not really <laughs> best they could be. And the prime minister hinted this week that he's going to keep the pressure on the United States as it relates to Iran. He wants some red lines. Is this a problem for the Israeli leadership? Well, it is. Um, they certainly feel that if there was a stronger, clearer backing coming from Washington, and we've had some very pro-Israel statements made by the president and the secretary of state. And you'll recall Obama said, Israel, you have my back and, you know, we'll, we'll watch uh, out for you. But this isn't a matter of words, Jimmy. This is a matter of Iran developing nuclear weapons while saying every other word that uh, Israel will be destroyed, will be wiped off the map. So again, if you're the Israeli prime minister, this has to be your, and whoever it would be, this has to be your main concern, something you're very focused on, and you would want to get your allies on board as much as possible if you need to take action. Of course, Iran is saying, Hezbollah now saying as well, that they'll hit American uh, positions, American military positions throughout the region if Israel does anything, even without active U.S. participation. So this is a, a threat against the states, but it's a test, as the Israelis see it, of the U.S. medal. Do we stand with our allies? Are we ready to fight with them if necessary? Of course nobody wants it. Who wanted the World Trade Center to be attacked? But they did it. And, you know, sometimes you can't just sit there. Uh, if Pearl Harbor is attacked, you've got to respond. So uh, we're kind of in the same situation. Iran, a very dangerous country, developing nuclear weapons. Israel is right to say we need everybody on board on this one if we have to take some action. 
David, only about 10 seconds. What about Israel as they prepare for Rosh Hashanah, the first of the fall Jewish feast on Monday? Well, it begins a period of uh, solemn introspection, and, uh, and the holidays and the security will be tight with all that's going on for sure. But uh, it is a time when Isra- Israelis can be quiet and pray to God, and hopefully it will be a quiet uh, holiday season, but they're prepared for the worst. And that worst may well come when we're watching everything else happening in that region of the world. By the way, we're going to talk with Rabbi Yoel Karen about Russia, Shana. That's at the top of the hour, so be sure to stay tuned for that. David Dolan with our Middle East News Update. David, thank you so very much, my good friend, for helping us understand what's happening in that region of the world. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. Thank you very much, and Shana Tava to you, my friend. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Rob Congdon. Rob Congdon has our update on the European Union, plus much, much more on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. In just a moment, an Egyptian Christian is going to talk to us about the situation going on in the Middle East, in particular in Cairo. His name is Usama Dakdak. He's standing by. This is going to be a very important report. You don't want to miss it. Right after the broadcast, we're leaving here from Broadcast Central, going to Calhoun, Georgia, the Belmont Baptist Church. And I'm going to have a great time with the people studying God's Word in that area. Now let's get right back to conversations with our broadcast partners. We're going to focus on the European Union and, in fact, the entire continent of Europe with Dr. Rob Congdon. He keeps us updated on what's happening there. Rob, our theme has been the entire activity of what's happening in the Middle East with all these demonstrations, mainly at U.S. embassies. There was one there in Sudan, I believe, uh, on the German embassy. But I want to get your reaction from the European Union. What are they thinking about what could become a full-blown war in the entire Middle East? Well, I think it's easier to say what's the reaction of individual countries. We haven't seen a European Union as such response. In other words, uh, Brussels has not commented on it uh, at this point. Uh, I think they're nervous. They're very concerned whether it will spread. And you're right, in Germany there has been some problems. Uh, Britain is concerned about it also. So they're, I, I think they're all just kind of holding their breath. They haven't even come out with strong statements about uh, a fact that an ambassador was killed. Uh, we, we tend to forget that an ambassador in a foreign country is 
the highest official of that country in that visiting or living in that country. And so it's very serious matter when the diplomatic corps has been threatened. So I, I, I think the simple answer is they're holding their breath and they're not sure what to say. They don't want to say something that will uh, further inflame the motions. They don't want to come out and really declare that this is a, a planned uh, assault, although the British papers have been saying that and have actually been quite strong in saying that this was a coordinated attack. So I think what we're seeing is uh, typical European. They're, they're a little nervous to take action, and they're nervous about their own internal population that is strongly Islamic now. So um, I, they've been strangely silent apart from that possibility. You know, Rob, and I'm not sure what my reference is for sure, I think it's The Guardian came out with a statement that the United States had been pre-warned of some type of an attack there in Libya. They did not deal with it. Why would Europe be speaking out against the United States at this time on this issue? Well, uh, and just a comment, it was the Independent rather than the Guardian, although usually the Guardian would be the one to come out with such a story. Um, the, there, there is a, a growing, uh, you can just see it, a slow undercurrent that is starting to react to President Obama's administration as seeing it ineffective in its Middle East policies. And as a result, you're starting to see uh, more open criticism than we've actually, this has just been occurring in the last couple of weeks. And so uh, this article strongly attacked the administration, said our Middle East policy has failed, and uh, it shows that just being uh, sort of sympathetic to causes is not going to do it. And so I, I thought it was very unique to see the article. Uh, the Drudge Report has been playing up the article strongly, and uh, it may well represent a, a start a, of a growing trend in Europe and its view about the U.S., um, which is very interesting because it started out thinking that President Obama could do no wrong in any of his statements, and now we're starting to see these cracks in that kind of support of him. So that's what it was about. Uh, their report seems to be substantiated, and uh, if so, uh, it will cause a lot more discussion. And I think what we'll see is just in the next couple of days, uh, both the European Union and the European countries will start speaking once they sort of gathered their thoughts and typical to European consulted with a few other people to see what they think. Now this uh, newspaper, we know there are many newspapers throughout Europe that are what they refer to as gossip rags. But this is a pretty strong, very journalistic type of uh, media outlet, is it not? Yes, it's one of the, uh, if you will, more respected papers. Uh, in Britain, uh, the Guardian is considered conservative, the Independent is conservative, but the thing is, by our standards, none of them are conservative, and that's why I think it was significant. They all are left of middle at least and further from there so uh politically speaking so i think it is significant they had the article it's significant that they're starting to see it one comment i get often and i've read this also by many comments by americans is if you want your news in the united states you've got to go to the european sources and specifically the british sources they cover many stories that our press seem to be afraid to even discuss. Yes, I've noticed that myself. In fact, on my iPhone, I have an app 
for the BBC, so I can, on the hour, listen to the latest news. They're probably, they may be liberal-leaning, but they're probably the greatest news-gathering organization in the world, so I would agree with uh, what you've just said. Well, let's focus now more on the European Union. Size of relief as the German courts approve the bailout fund as it relates to the Eurozone. Uh, very, very significant. Uh, all of Europe's been kind of holding their breath because if the German court ruled against it, that would basically stop any aid to not only Greece but to Italy, to Spain, uh, to some of the other countries, as it has already been agreed the EU was going to give that relief. So uh, significant factor. It's opened the door for uh, not only payments to these countries, but it really has opened the door towards some other possible ways to help the countries out financially and maybe protect uh, Germany. Uh, that is the biggest concern. That's why many thought the court would rule against it. In other words, to just sort of protect the German money from being what they view as being wasted. But uh, no, this opens the door toward... Uh, immediate help for some of the countries and certainly long-range changes in the whole financial uh, outlook on how they will deal with the the problem that Europe is facing right now. Rob, was this not somewhat of a victory for Chancellor Angela Merkel? Uh, It was a victory because she has been pushing for it, yes, absolutely, and the forces in Germany that didn't want it and certainly didn't want to see German money going over since, remember, Germany is the major, major contributor to the bailout funds, if you will. And so, uh, yes, it would be seen as a victory for her. She has been succeeding local elections. She's not doing too well. Her party isn't. But uh, on the national scene uh, for her country, she has been doing quite well and continues on that path. I was reading some information coming out of Europe that uh, the euro crisis should not stop enlargement of uh, the member states in the European Union. What's that all about? Well, uh, many people are saying, look, uh, the euro is failing. The euro zone, which is the 17 countries that use the euro, they're failing. Therefore, they carry the argument, so is the European Union. And rather than enlarging, perhaps it should be divided or, or done away with. Uh, instead, as this crisis continued, more and more voices are saying, this is why we need a strong European Union. We need greater strength there because the argument goes that the day has come that the individual countries no longer can handle situations because it's a global market. Global conditions influence everything. Since it's global, you need a strong Europe as a single government. And of course, Underlying that is the the ongoing view and the the statements that go right back to the founding of the European Union is you ultimately need a one-world government to control the financial system of a one-world system. Now with this communication systems, the internets, the rapid communication and transfer of funds, you can't deal with just states anymore. So you can see where the whole trend is moving and the pressure is growing and the EU is merely saying, we're going to keep adding countries. We'll just keep adding them as we go, regardless of a crisis. I love that phrase, one world government. That sounds very prophetic to me. Revelation chapter 18. Well, you sent me a note that we need to talk about Mr. Baruso. He's the president of the commission, and he envisions a federation of nation states. That's even moving more in the direction of a revived Roman Empire, is it not? 
Oh, absolutely. And remember, he is one of the key powers of the European Union, being president of the commission, very powerful group. Uh, I found it fascinating to read what he's been saying, because he's using the term federation of nation states, because people can be comfortable with the term federation. The United States is a federation. It works fine. The states still have some power, although they certainly have less power more recently than they have in the past. But people have said, well, look, there's a country that's done 200 years of federations, not a bad idea. Maybe we should be moving toward that. What he is really saying, if you'll read his definitions in between the lines, is he is talking about what's called a supranational government. That's where a small group of men and women uh, form a commission, if you will, that govern all the states and people under them. But interestingly, one of the requirements to be a commission, a supranational commissioner, is that you govern uh, irrespective of the needs of the individual peoples or countries or boundaries that you're used to. You are to be above and independent of them and make your decisions purely on what you believe is right for the overall union. So while he's talking, using the word federation, always keep in mind that he is a strong European Union believer, and that means supranational government, which which is, is not democratic, and it actually in many ways it's unique in history. There's never been a government such as that before. The European Union is that kind of government, and Daniel chapter 7, verse 23 speaks about a diverse uh, kingdom, and if you study the word diverse, it means unique in history. So certainly the EU as it is today, as he hopes to see it enlarged and moved, uh, continues to be uh, a qualifier, if you will, for a candidate of the pi- possible final kingdom that Daniel talks about. Dr. Rob Congdon reporting how events in the European Union are indeed setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Rob, thank you so very much for this very important report. We appreciate it every week. We'll talk to you again next week. We'll look forward to it then. Lord bless. Goodbye. We cannot have a conversation with Dr. Rob Congdon without getting to the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. Well, that's the reason we have these broadcast partners from all over the world reporting to us about what's going on, looking at the details behind the headlines that are happening even as we are broadcasting. I am really thrilled to be able to bring a brand new broadcast partner to the table with us. We've had one other conversation with him. I'm talking about Usama Dakdak. He is a man who was born in Egypt, lived there for the first 23 years of his life, now has been in the United States about 20 years, has family there, has traveled many times back into the country. And I wanted to talk with him about what is happening throughout the entire Middle East. Now, I want to suggest you can go to his website, and Usama, give us your website address. It is thestreetway.org. That's Please go to his website. He can go more in-depth with everything we'll be talking about. You know, uh, to talk with Usama for about 10 minutes is almost a crime because he could <laughs> develop so much more for us. But the truth be known, Usama, I have had a great reaction to the first time you appeared here as one of our broadcast partners. 
And we are on some 1,800 outlets across the United States, of course, the Internet around the world. So many people have been able to hear what you had to say, and I want to drive them to your website. But I do need to talk to you in general, basically, about what's been going on in the Middle East, and it seems to be a flame. First of all, have you been able to see that trailer for the supposed uh, documentary film that would depict Muhammad and Islam in a derogatory way. Have you seen it? Yes, indeed. I've seen the 14 minutes or so they have on the uh, online, yes. Now, in light of that, and again, you could probably pick it apart and tell us what's good and bad, etc., etc. Forget that for a moment. Talk to me about has it been really provocative enough to excite the Islamic world to do what they're doing in the Middle East right now? Or do you think it's just a ploy to use it as a way to start doing what they wanted to do anyway? Uh, the fact is the problem we have in the Middle East is Muslim without Islam. These Muslims who are very passionate about their Muhammad, about uh, their faith, or I call their cult, they are ignorant of their own religion. What I mean by that is, if the Muslims have known Islam, they will not stay in Islam for a minute. So if you look at this 14 minutes of the movie, and by the way, the production is very poor. I will not pay uh, for this 14 minutes, uh, $14. I mean, it's very poor. <laughs> right. Quality voice right. and uh, cameras and everything. So, and uh, so far, we do not know who is behind the movie. We have no clue. It could be, this movie could be made by Muslims themselves, but... If it's not, and if it's a true movie, and I look forward to see the rest of it, it is what I saw so far in this 14 minutes is nothing but solid information from the Muslim books. When I say the Muslim books, I mean the Quran and the Hadith, Islamic scholar interpretation. Will I agree of, on how they uh, produce the movie and how they make uh, some of the pictures there? Of course not, because as a Christian man, I don't want to look at any woman in naked lakes, uh, but the fact the information which is in this 14 minute is 100% true. I'm not, I'm not joking. You know, well, you're saying that this information comes from the Quran and the Hadith, which is, of course, the written words and statements and actions of Muhammad. You say it all mm -hmm. comes from those two books. And Muslims call it interpretation to the verses of the Quran. Nothing in this movie is not true. But because Muslims in the Middle East do not know Muhammad, do not know Islam. When you share this information with them, especially when you put it in a film, this will bring anger and riots all over the country. But by the way, with or without this movie, Muslims do what they do all the time, all year long, rising the Christian Jew, killing non-Muslims, has been for the last 1,400 years, which, by the way, also resulting to the teaching of Allah in the Quran and the command of Muhammad in the Hadith. Yes. So, now, let me ask you this, then. Uh, sure. And you made a statement just a moment ago. If, indeed, there was someone that produced this and not a Muslim that may have produced it, I understand that the Islamic faith allows you to lie if, indeed, it will carry on the cause of the Islamic faith. Could a Muslim have produced this film? Yes, indeed. I mean, if, if you think about it, war is deception. And Allah's uh, uh, apostle, this uh, Muhammad, this false prophet, he told the Muslim, it is lawful to lie in three cases, a man to his wife, or in time of war, or to make peace between Muslim brothers. So, it is war, we are in war, the command of Allah for Muslims to engage in war until Christ comes back, there will always be war. Therefore, 
they can lie and do whatever they're doing. Let uh, me go back to something else that you have said, that they could have lied and uh, say that some Christian or some Jew or somebody else had to produce this film, but they may well have done it themselves. We are not making this statement on this broadcast, either Usama or myself, that that is the case. It's just a possibility when you understand the philosophy of the Islamic faith and what their desire is in this world to develop a caliphate, a worldwide dominion. Well, talk to me. You live for 23 years in Egypt. Is there an element in Egypt, a part of the body politic, the people there, uh, that are eager and right on the edge at any moment to start demonstrating? Everything seemed to start there at the Egyptian embassy. It went to Libya. There in Benghazi, they killed the ambassador to the to Libya from the United States. Uh, but are those in the Islamic world, and especially we were focusing on Egypt, are they right on edge, ready to start demonstrating, ready to go and do whatever seemingly needs to be done for their faith? Believe it or not, brother, if this movie had not been shown up on that day or any uh, other, whatever the next thing is going to be, Muslim in the Muslim world are waiting for anything they will create something or they're waiting for anything. It doesn't matter. And the sad thing now in Egypt, we have a, a, a worse scenario because at least years ago, uh, if you have been in the American embassy in Cairo, and I don't know if you've been there or not, but I've been there many times. Last time I was uh, seven years ago. When you go, when I went to the American embassy 20 years ago, very high security. I mean, you cannot throw a rock inside the fence. You can't because the police and the army all the way in the whole entire square yard a mile away. You cannot. So now, last time I was in Egypt, when I went in the, inside the Cairo embassy, half of the workers, half of the workers are Muslim lady in hijab and Muslim men with a big beard, which means that the Brotherhood is working inside the embassy. And it's amazing. With all what they have done in Benghazi, in Libya, or in Egypt, there is not one Egyptian or one Libyan has been hurt. The police now is working. <laughs> the, the people who are supposed to protect the embassy are working with the Muslims to do their dirty work. We have a problem. The problem is we have given two countries, as a matter of fact, like Tunisia, now be three, and Syria coming up soon, four countries to our enemy, and there is no safe place for American, for Christian, for Jew, neither in this country or whatever next country they're going to take over. So. They are ready to take to, to uh, take an action. They're ready to kill, to burn, in any time with or without the movie. Just watch what's going to happen next. Well, what about uh, President Mohamed Morsi? He is a part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, he seems he's uh, walking down the middle of the road, not making a decision on the left or the right. He's uh, trying to tell everybody we're going to try to protect the embassies, especially the U.S. embassy. But in the background, his Muslim Brotherhood leaders are doing everything to stir all of this up, are they not? This is the man who just replaced last week 10 mayors in Egypt from moderate, if you can't believe this, such a thing, which I don't believe in it. They're Muslim, but they don't want to kill Christians. He replaced them with another 10 Brotherhood mayor. This is a man who's he actually served time in the prison until he gets out of the prison in this uh, uh, revolution we have in Egypt. He was serving as a Brotherhood criminal. Now he is the president of the country. There is no such a thing as he is with us. He is against us. Just watch him. Watch what he's going to do the next few weeks if not the next few days, concerning Israel, concerning America. He's playing, he's holding the stick in the middle because he wants a few more billion dollars from the United States. He 
is still expecting, and I, this is a brand new piece of news, I don't think anybody even heard about it yet, we are sending to Egypt four self warships to be used but by the Brotherhood to go in war against Israel. These four ships are built here in Mississippi. I've seen them myself, and they cost our government, United States of America, $2 billion. They're going to be shipped to Egypt any time. We're, sh- we're shipping uh, F-16, F-18 tanks to Egypt by Obama and his administration. We are making a big problem. We're, we're doing everything to harm Israel overseas, and we're going to end being cursed here in America. Wow. Usama Dakdak. He is a broadcast partner that brings so much to the table. I am just uh, very sad I don't have more time to talk with him about what uh, he has been revealing to us. Information that has not been yet put forth across the world. Give me your website again. It is thestraightway.org. Thestraightway.org. Go there and see what Usama is going to be able to help you understand how all of these things are happening in the Middle East. Usama, thank you so very much for participating with us today. Appreciate it, and I'm sure we're going to talk down the line. God bless. Anytime. God bless, brother. Thank you so much. Wow. When that man gets to talking about something so dear to his heart, I'm talking about Usama Dakdak, who we just talked with, of course. He has a real burden for the Islamic people, but he wants them to know the truth. We're going to try to have him on at a later date where he can go more in-depth with some of the things he wants to explain to each and every one of us. Be sure to go to his website, thestraightway.com. That way you'll be able to get it from the horse's mouth exactly what is happening. Well, upcoming on Monday is going to be a special Jewish High Holy Day. It's referred to as Rosh Hashanah. But in the book of Leviticus, it's one of the seven Jewish feasts. It's, in fact, the first of the fall feast, and it's referred to there as the Feast of Trumpets. Now, if we're going to be having Jewish feasts and celebrating them around the world in the Jewish community, then that means we have to have Steve Herzig. He is the national director of an organization entitled Friends of Israel. You can go to their website, foi.org, O-R-G, foi.org, and you can find out more information about that great ministry. Shona Tava, Steve. How you doing, Jimmy? Doing great. It's great to hear your voice again. You know, we don't get together too often, but when we do, we have something important to talk about. Let me just ask you from the very outset, why do the Jewish people refer to the Holy Day as Rosh Hashanah, which means New Year, and instead in the book of Leviticus it's referred to as the Feast of Trumpets? Why is that? Well, there are three uh, specific fall feasts, Jimmy, as you mentioned, uh, that fall in the month of Tishrei. And Rosh Hashanah is actually considered the new year, so Rosh, head of the year. So uh, it's actually going to be 5,773 Jewish people, even though they're celebrating on the seventh month, it's considered a new year. It's a very important time as Jewish people gather, uh, certainly to wish each other a new year, but repentance, Jimmy, as you well know, is on their mind. Yes, and those next 10 days after Rosh Hashanah leading up to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, those are referred to as the awesome days. What do they do during that time? Well, Jimmy, that is a time of reflection. That is a time of evaluation. That is a time of going back over the course of your last year and 
thinking between yourself and God, what have I done to either offend another person or God, and coming and making it right. They want to make things right because they realize that at the Day of Atonement, uh, their next year will be sealed. And so they greet each other at the New Year, may your name be inscribed in the Book of Life, but they realize that Yom Kippur, just ten days later, their name will be sealed in either the Book of Life or the Book of Judgment. And that's a fear, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Absolutely. Next week, we want to see if we can get a hold of you wherever you are and uh, talk to you about Yom Kippur. Now, tell me again, and we always ask you this question, how can we as Christians use this special time for the Jewish people, this high holy day, in order to be able to bring to them the Messiah, Jesus Christ? Well, I can tell you, Jimmy, there's no better way to do it than to, as you are providing such a wonderful service by explaining to your listeners what's coming up. So for those who have Jewish friends, buy a card, a New Year card. It's, I, I realize it's, New Year's is soon, but because of, of the 10 days in between, even if they were to get one now, write a little a note to them to wish them a Happy New Year. Maybe inscribe an Old Testament passage that's one of your favorites for them to read and tell them, uh, that their desire is that they have a good and healthy New Year. May the Lord bless them. You could thank them for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in your own life, through the Messiah. Those kinds of things are appreciated by Jewish people. Wow, what a, a great word for us to have some Jewish friends who would like to bring to them the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, I greeted Steve by saying Shana Tava. That's how you say Happy New Year in Hebrew. And so, Steve, I know we're going to talk next week about Yom Kippur, but until then, Shana Tava, my dear friend. Hey, thanks, Jimmy. You have a great year yourself. Man, that was a great report from Steve Herzig. After the top of the hour newscast, we're going to be talking with Rabbi Yoel Karen also about Rosh Hashanah. It's all ahead here on Prophecy Today. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung behind these microphones here at Broadcast Central. At the controls, Steve Allred. Hey, we're going to be leaving this location right after the broadcast, about a half an hour, headed down to Calhoun, Georgia, Belmont Baptist Church. Going to have a great time with Pastor Jeff Hawkins and all the people down there. We'll be this evening beginning the conference, 5.30 and 6.30, two special hours of study. And then tomorrow we're going to have two hours and also a prophecy Q&A. 11 o'clock in the morning for the morning service, 6 p.m. tomorrow evening, 5 to 6, we'll have prophecy Q&A. Come along and join us at the Belmont Baptist Church in Calhoun, Georgia. I also want to give you the poll question. You can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and answer the poll question. Love to hear what you are thinking. That's why we each week put up a poll question. Here's the one for this week. As the world watches violent demonstrations at American embassies all across the Middle East by Muslim Islamists, could these events be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled? The prophecies of Ezekiel chapter 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. 
We'd love for you to go to our poll question website address and look at it. Give us an answer what your thinking may be. That address again is prophecytoday.com. When you're there, you'll find out about our great tour that's going to take place in Israel. It's just about a month away. There may be one or two more seats on the tour bus. So you call Jody at prophecytoday.com, Joshua Travel, and she'll tell you if you can be a part of it. And then Judy and I are going to take a cruise. We're going from Rome, Italy over to Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. That's the biblical name, of course, for Kusadasi. Then up to Athens, Greece, back into Rome. Love to have you come along and join us on either the tour to Israel or the cruise that is going over the steps of the missionary steps of the Apostle Paul. Now we bring to these microphones a broadcast partner who's become a good friend. I enjoy the opportunity of talking with the men that we have available to us, helping us understand better the headlines that we read about or hear about on radio and television. I enjoy the opportunity that I've been allowed to know these men. And when they become friends, that's extra special as well. I'm talking about Rabbi Yoel Karen. He's in the Jerusalem area. And I want to talk to you, Rabbi, about, oh, first of all, let me say, Shana Tava. Shana Tova. For those eavesdropping on the conversation, that means Happy New Year. And upcoming on Monday will be the time for the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. And in fact, that's what I want to talk about, Rosh Hashanah. Talk to me about what you are doing in preparation for this special holy day. Oh, boy. I, uh, today I went out, I purchased a, a good deal of, of, of beef and lamb and all sorts of fruits. We like to, we like to fill the table up with, with all sorts of exotic fruits that we don't normally get. So I've got, uh, it looks like a, a cornucopia of pineapples and, and all different, all different, uh, delicacies that we don't normally have. New things that we haven't had for a while. We make special blessings on, on, uh, having, fruits that have just come off the trees and so that's 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 a lot of the physical preparation the spiritual preparation is a little bit different and it's it's very this is a time that's very exciting for us you can feel the entire city of jerusalem coming alive and it but it's the spiritual preparation because this is a time that we when we when we go to the synagogue on rosh hashanah where ultimately what we're doing here is that the sound of that horn is waking us up and preparing us for Yom Kippur that's coming. And and we have a certain uh, hymn that we sing every year, a very solemn hymn, that all of creation is going to pass before God like the flock passes before the shepherd's rod. Everyone has to pass under that rod of judgment and, and be prepared. So this, this is a time of huge, huge spiritual preparations as much as I, I it's, it's not all about the food, as much as you hear that. So. But it is a special time of preparation for the holiest day in all of the Jewish feast, Yom Kippur. And those 10 days between Rosh Hashanah, that referred to as the awesome days, you're involved in really becoming more prepared for that special holy day than even Rosh Hashanah, is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely. That's exactly what you're doing, is you're really pouring out your heart to God. You're doing a serious set of accounting on what you've done with yourself over the, over the last year and how you can do better going forward. And there are, this is a time of the year when the Jewish people, 
retain and hold on to customs that have almost all but been forgotten throughout the rest of the year. These things suddenly get resurrected and brought back on, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The people will come to the synagogue all dressed in white, some in all white robes. And among the, the you'll see things that again, in, in the United States you won't see this so much in outside of Israel, but in Israel on Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, you will see entire congregations at certain points throw themselves down, face flat on the floor, and just throw themselves on the floor before God. Mm-hmm. And and it's 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 an amazing thing to to be a part of. And I wish we were doing that a little bit more during the year. But at least on those days, people will humble themselves and literally cast themselves on the ground and fall fall flat on their faces. You know, let me remind everybody, eavesdropping on the conversation, Yom Kippur, and that is the Hebrew for Day of Atonement. Rosh Hashanah, and if you literally define or interpret that phrase, it's basically talking about the head or the chief or the new year, Rosh Hashanah. But we're talking about the Feast of Trumpets. What's the connection between the two? Why do the Jewish people refer to it as Rosh Hashanah, Happy New Year is the greeting, instead of the Feast of Trumpets? Well, we do also. You, you, you will refer to it also sometimes as Yom HaTeruah, the, the Day of Blasts, the Day of Trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets. Um, but popularly, as you say, you know, popularly it's known as Rosh Hashanah because the truth is the Jewish people have four different New Year's. One is the, the system that we use to calculate the reigns of kings. That's the month of Nisan, when the month that Passover falls out. There's another, there's another system for calculating the, uh, the, the years for trees, and that is on the 15th of, of uh, Shavat, which is, you know, because we have to count the years of trees after, the four, after certain, so many years, you, you're only allowed to take the fruit in the land of Israel after so many years. You can't, you can't take fruit from a brand new tree. So we have a different calendar for that. And then you also have for the, we have years are reckoned from the year, from the year of creation. And so this is what, why, why Rosh Hashanah, this is the main method that we have for counting calendar years. It's from the date of creation. Now, okay. so that's, that's why it's called Rosh Hashanah. Okay, talk to me then. What year? What is the Jewish year now? Are coming 5, up? Five thousand seven hundred and seventy-three. That's the new year. Yes. Okay. And so then you're saying, if I understand how you've in, in, in defined that to me, you're making the statement that it was five thousand seven hundred and seventy-three years ago that God created everything. Yes. At at, at, very, at, at the very least, we can say that this is when. Man was created when creation was finished. Now, with that thought in mind, I have been in Jerusalem. Of course, we've lived there some portion of every year, but a long, long part of each and every year for many years. In Jerusalem, on the time of Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, I would go to the Temple Mount area, to the Western Wall Plaza. I've seen as many, I probably think maybe 5,000 men with their shofars or their trumpets down there blasting out the sound. Why would they do that? Again, the, the, we, we see this as intimately connected with, with that great and awesome day of judgment of Yom Kippur that is coming up. And this, the, the, the shofar is there to arouse you to repent, to arouse you to take stock. We call it din v'cheshbon. It means it means you're doing a judgment on yourself first. The judgment starts with you. You're looking into your own heart, 
and really, really, instead of paying lip service to, to repentance, you're really sitting there and judging yourself and, and whether you're proud of and happy with everything you've done from the year and what you can do better. And that's what that shofar, that's what that ram's horn there is to do. You know, traditionally it's also used to, to wake people up for battle. And this is what it's all about. It's a wake-up call. Yeah, and for calling a solemn assembly as well. And, of course, everybody is very solemn as they go through those ten awesome days up to Day of Atonement Yom Kippur. Is there any connection at all between the blowing of the trumpets and the celebration of the new year of creation, which happened so many years ago? Well, yeah, again, this day and the blowing of the trumpets, it's, it's intimately connected with the idea of the, the reckoning of the years from creation. So, yes, it's, it's announcing that that new year, that one more year from creation has passed. You know, in the past, I've had conversations with uh, people like Rabbi Chaim Richman and Rabbi Yehuda Glick. Chaim Richman is a key player in the Temple Institute involved in helping to prepare all the implements and train the priest who will serve in that next temple. And, of course, Yehuda Glick, the rabbi, was for many years the executive director there at the Temple Institute. Both of these men have talked to me about the fact that that Dome of the Rock, that dull domed building there in, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is over what they referred to as the foundation stone, and they said that was the location where God indeed did, as you were talking about a moment ago, create Adam and Eve. Would you go along with that as well? I would, I would take it further, and I would say the reason it's called foundation stone is not only were Adam and Eve created there, the entire universe, and I don't, you know, physicists might not exactly agree with me here, but we believe the reason this is called a foundation stone is this is the foundation of the very universe. From that specific point, inside that dome where the Holy of Holies sits, the entire universe sprang forth, and that's why it's called the back-going eye of sources all the way back to the times when the temple was still standing, over 2,000 years ago that call this Evan Hashitiyah, the, the foundation stone, because it was the, it's the foundation of the very earth. This is where everything sprang forth from. When God created and he said, let there be, this is where it all came from. Wow. Wow, that is, that is wonderful information. I know the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 5, 5, that he placed, God placed Jerusalem in the center of the earth and all the nations around it. Well, you just mentioned a very interesting thought I want to discuss with you. You said that was the location of the Holy of Holies. You mean that's where, when the temple stood there on the Temple Mount, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was located, where the glory of the Lord uh, hovered between uh, the cherubim there, that was the spot? That's the exact spot, and the archaeologist Lean Rittmeyer has mapped it out exactly. That there you can see the foundation channels for the walls that are exactly 20 cubits by 20 cubits, exactly as they're supposed to be, the exact dimensions that we know of. And in the center of that is a leveled-out place, because you have to remember this is rough bedrock. And if you were trying to sit the ark on it, it, wouldn't be, it would be wobbly. So there is a smoothed-out rectangle there that's absolutely level, and it is the exact dimensions for the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, I've been into that location, and on my recent documentary that we produced, Ready to Rebuild, Revisited. I go into 
the Dome of the Rock, and I took a camera in there. I don't know if anybody else has been able to do that, but we went in and we show the spot that you're referring to right there. So that then must mean in order to put up the next temple on the Temple Mount, you've got to remove that gold dome building. has to go. It has to go. There's no two ways about it. Well, any plans? <laughs> well, you know, like I say, that it would be great if if my government and my my country's army would stand up and do what has to be done in the next five minutes. That I'd be all in favor of. But, you know, who knows? God has his own way of doing things. God can cause earthquakes. God can redirect missiles that are trying to kill civilians and direct them to, to hit other things. I have no idea. I'm not, a, I'm not a prophet, but I read the prophets, and I know that one way or the other it's going to go. Absolutely. I can say amen and amen to that. God's Word says it. That settles it for me, and it's going to happen. That is an absolute. Well, let me once again say to you, my dear friend, Shona Tava, and thank you so much for being available for us, giving us great insight into this special high holy day for the Jewish people, Rosh Hashanah. Thank you, and Shona Tava. Thank you. Pleasure's mine. Now that was a great conversation with Rabbi Yoel Carrot. You can go to our website and re-listen to that and any of the broadcast partners, the conversations we had with them. It's at our website, prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And let me tell you about my brand new documentary, Ready to Rebuild, Revisit It. We'll talk to you about the next coming temple. We'll take a break. We'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
As I travel across America and around the world, people are always asking me if I believe that the rapture could take place very soon. Well, my answer is always yes, because I believe the rapture can happen at any moment. With the conversations that I've had with our broadcast partners on the weekend edition of Prophecy Today, I would have to basically double down on my answer with an emphatic yes. Think with me about what our broadcast partners had to say when they came to the table. Ken Timmerman in Washington, D.C. talked about Benghazi attack, and he said it was well-planned and it was well-armed and organized. And it was also carried out very well. Now, that is not a spontaneous attack. Our government failed to protect the Americans in that site, Ken brought to our attention, and the Egyptian president, Mohamed Morsi, failed the test as well. United States apology was a part of a bad strategy as America responded to what had been the beginning of many demonstrations across the entire Middle East. David Dolan with our Middle East News Update. He talked about Mubarak and Gaddafi. He brought to our attention that these were tough autocrats, not necessarily dictators. Hitler would have been a dictator, but he's talking about people who actually kept peace in their countries. No demonstrations would have taken place had President Mubarak been in the charge of Egypt and Gaddafi still in power there in Libya. Violence in the Middle East, David Dolan told us, is not good for Israel. Dr. Rob Congdon talked about the European Union. One of the European Union papers revealed what really did happen, that the United States had information, intelligence information, before the fact and did not deal with it. And Rob brought to our attention, not only is the Muslim world very dangerous in the Middle East, but Muslims have moved into the European Union, and we hear reports around the world that there is Muslim demonstrations against this so-called video that is derogatory to the Muslim people. Usama Dakdak is an Egyptian. He lived there for 23 years of his life. He talked to us about the Muslims in the Middle East always on ready for violence. He said he watched the video, and he says, really, the video had nothing to do with what they're doing. If you study the Quran, you study the Hadith, the two Islamic holy books, you see that what the video said was absolutely true. You need to listen to that conversation with that broadcast partner and all of our broadcast partners. You can do that at prophecytoday.com, P-T-R-N. You know, these reports are evidence the potential for a full-blown war in the Middle East is very high, and it could begin at any moment. By the way, when you listen, you'll be able to understand better what is going on and the reasons behind it, and call a friend and ask them to go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Also, listen to PTRN. All the conversations will be posted there. You know, here on Prophecy Today, we report the political because these activities are actually setting the stage for the prophetic Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Think about this with me just a moment. Jesus Christ made a statement in the Olivet Discourse. Now, that was the Passion Week discourse that Jesus made on Monday afternoon before he was crucified a couple of days later. It's found in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. In Matthew 24, verses 6 and 7, Jesus Christ said there will be wars and rumors of wars, nations against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. 
in that Olivet Discourse. He was looking into the future, into the day that we're living in right now. A number of the ancient Jewish prophets actually foretold what would happen. They pre-wrote history, basically. The psalmist in Psalm 83 lists some of the nations that are in violent activity against the United States Embassy. He also said, the psalmist I'm talking about, that these enemies in the last days would raise their heads, their ugly, murderous, violent heads against the true God, the God of the Bible. And uh, that is the case as well as we watch what's unfolding. In Ezekiel chapter 38, we read how a coalition of nations will come against the Jewish state of Israel in the last days. But remember, America's friendship with Israel is probably more of a concern among the Muslims than any video out there. The Muslims hate Jews, and thus, if America sides with Israel, they hate the United States. However, Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 43, would have to be right to the point of the present Middle East turmoil. The prophet Daniel mentions the first three nations to go to war in the Middle East with an end-time game of death and destruction. When you go to Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40, you'll see that there is a king of the south that is mentioned. Early on in chapter 11, starting in verse 5, it defines the king of the south as Egypt. And so Egypt will be one of those major players, one of the top three, to move against not only Israel, but the entire world as they go to war there in the Middle East. That's verse 40. In verse 43, it says that Libya, and it lists the name of that nation, Libya, will be another player that will be involved. We're watching all of these things unfold, but if you will take your Bible and read it as you read the newspaper or listen to the news reports on radio and television, you'll see that the prophetic scenario for the end times written by the ancient Jewish prophets some 2,500 years ago are coming better into focus. More in focus than they ever have been in all of history. These two nations, Egypt and Libya, have been at the forefront of the Middle East violence. Bible prophecy, I'm going to have to say, is about to be fulfilled. Well, we see the stage set not only in the Middle East, but in many other areas of this world that go along with the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. We must pay attention to God's word. We must understand what the ancient prophets said would happen in the last days. It's an absolute that we understand the times by looking at God's word and then looking at current events in light of God's word and see if everything's happening as he said it would. And then we'd better be prepared for the next event. That next event, by the way, is the rapture of the church. Jesus will shout, Archangel will shout, trouble God will sound, and you and I who know Christ as Lord and Savior will be caught up into the air to be with him forevermore. And that could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you, Jimmy. Now, friend, if you would like more on this subject, just give us a call at 8 Prophecy 8, 877-674-3298. That's 877-674-3298. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thank you.